Just a heads up before we begin, my audio is a little funky here and there for the next few episodes. I could chalk it up to mistakes being made as a result of being new to podcasting that even a couple extra hours of editing were unable to fully fix. But instead, let's just go with I was battling it out for a gold for control of my brain. Spoiler alert, I do win out eventually. Or did she? Thanks for your patience. Somewhere Pepper is snoring. <laughs> you don't know, you can just feel it in the force, the disturbance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Stargazing, a stargate-gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And every other week, we discuss an episode of Stargate, beginning with Stargate SG-1. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you Good. today? I just had a brain fart in the, in the middle of that. <laughs> Good it's... job. So I can see how this will be going today. Yeah, it's, it's going to be great. Um, yep, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Aside from uh, brain farting right at the beginning, how are you doing I'm today? doing okay. I took a couple days off of work this week and Ooh. have been kind of hiding in my apartment and doing some cleaning while being lazy at the same time. Awesome. All of that except for the cleaning sounds the amazing. The cleaning was needed. I actually feel better about myself now that I've swept yeah. my floors <laughs> and uh, cleaned my kitchen enough so that my uh, maintenance guy for our apartment complex could come in and fix my garbage disposal, which decided to conk out. Yeah, uh, that's annoying. It, was, it wasn't great, but it's better now. Well, How are you? Good. I'm fine. Good. Just tired, yeah. but I'll get over it. Kind of hungry. I'll get over that, too. Food. Food is great. I think it's a well-established fact. We are big fans of food. Agree. Food was a, an important factor in the episode we're going to be talking about It sure about was. <laughs> <laughs> you were slurping your tea at me. It's delicious. Awesome. You're welcome. <laughs> Tea is delicious. I don't have any tea. I wish I had beer, but I don't have that either. Yeah, I I want all the things in my face today, so... Yeah, I was like that yesterday, and so I ate yeah, all the things, and I it was I had great. stuffed mushrooms and popcorn, mm. and I had mm. uh, I bought some almond milk eggnog, which Ooh, I actually really... I it is. Thing. Uh, I think Silk makes it. It's pretty good, and it's like nice. half the calories of regular eggnog, so... Yeah, I love eggnog so much, but yeah. it's so awful for you. And it's less sweet, too, I find. So, Which, I, I mean, oh, I like eggnog thanks. sweet, too, but yeah. I'll have to try it. I'll have to look for it when I'm at the store. I just shouldn't buy eggnog at all, and I'm not making that eggnog this year because I, because oh. I will just drink it all. You could make it and bring it all to me. It's a lot. And then I always oh, have no. leftover booze, too, and then I just drink that. You bring that to me, too. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So maybe I'll do that instead. I will take all the eggnog and booze. Excellent. I do like making it. It's super easy, and then there's eggnog in the fridge. But yeah. I also don't have to make double the recipe, I guess. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> 
I will accept single the recipe. I'm always like, oh, I'll totally give this away. And then I'm like, I spend most of my time by myself sitting in my house. Why would I do that? I can just drink it. (laughs) It is so tasty. Should we start this thing? we should. Yes. We are going to be talking about season one, episode nine of Stargate SG-1, Brief Candle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which prominently features food. (laughs) It does. And Mm. beverage. We don't know what kind of beverage. Bacchanalia of various sorts. We open with a scene of a Greek building of some sort. Like a... What kind of building would you describe that as, Kathy? I think I was... I would think I called it a temple. Or thought of it that way. Okay. We open with a scene of a Greek-looking temple. There is a man inside praying to a statue. And then all of a sudden he is very scared and runs away and hides because the gate that is apparently inside this temple has activated. Daniel walks through along with the rest of SG-1 and starts talking about how he doesn't really recognize the statue or any of the stuff inside. But then all of a sudden a woman screams from off camera. So of course they go to try to figure out where that screaming's coming from and they find the hiding man as well as this woman who is apparently pregnant and also going into labor at this convenient timing. <laughs> the guy that had been there praying says, you're not Pelops. And Daniel says, that statue guy? No, we're just visiting. We're friends. And so because the woman is in labor, of course, everybody looks at Sam like she's supposed to know what to do. And she's like, I have no idea. <laughs> but don't look at me. I don't know what to do. And that's our opening scene. We go to credits I from there. That. I I did too. I thought it was pretty Thank funny. You. After credits, Daniel is delivering the baby. Carter is watching and Teal and Jack are kind of pacing in the background. I like Daniel's reasoning for why he knew how to deliver kids and it was just because he made friends with a midwife and so she gave him all of her knowledge <laughs> that made no sense no whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know he just he just likes to learn things i don't <laughs> apparently so um, despite the extensive knowledge he had this is the only to set the second time he's ever delivered a baby Yes, which I suppose is better than zero yes. times. <laughs> I thought it was funny that uh, Daniel was doing this. I don't know. Jack's, Jack has a kid or had a kid. Like, does he, is he not familiar yeah. at all with the birthing process? Maybe not. But I was like. Yeah, I don't know. You'd think he would probably be more familiar possibly. than. Well, I guess not than Daniel because Daniel doesn't have any kids. But he was, I guess, kind of taught a long time ago. Maybe maybe O'Neill was a waiting room dad. <laughs> I don't know. Could be. He seems like he'd Might be a waiting be. room dad. Um, he'd probably be. He'd probably like a working while the kid's being born kind of dad. Yeah, he might have been away, like doing <laughs> secret ops stuff. And also being in the military, you can't necessarily blame him yeah. for that. So <laughs> Daniel uh, delivers the baby and announces it's a boy. O'Neill congratulates the parents, and Teal kind of mumbles, "May it grow strong and bring you honor." <laughs> which I had to rewind it like four times to figure out what he said and turn on the Spanish subtitles because mine doesn't have English subtitles and translate the Spanish. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, <good> job. 
because <laughs> I just wasn't getting that bring you honor thing at the end. Like, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> the team then turns their attention to the temple. Uh, Daniel says it reminds him of a citadel in Mycenae. Then mom is surprisingly up and about with the new baby very quickly, which <laughs> Carter's a little concerned about. Yeah. I'm fine. Mom seems pretty good, though. So she does. They, uh, mom, uh, I think that I think I got the dad's name somewhere, Alikos or something like that. But yeah, Alikos. I, yeah, okay. I think it was Alikos or maybe Alikos. And then I missed the mom's name altogether. So she's just mom throughout this for me. Yes. But they, mom and dad, named their baby after Daniel, Danielle, mm-hmm. and the baby has a lucky birthmark. And SG-1 is, you know, like, who are you guys? And they're like, we're the chosen. And then they inquire after their gods. And they're like, silly, everyone knows our gods live in the sky. Outside, the new parents are showing off their kid by holding it up towards the sky, completely unsupported. So that's off to a great start as far as parenting goes. Daniel's looking around and comments on how attractive everybody is. And Teal'c mentions that they all look as healthy as Jaffa. Sam also notices that everyone seems pretty young. Nobody seems to be over 40. And only O'Neill seems to have any kind of issues with what's going on. He just says that things seem off, but he's dismissed by the rest of SG-1. One of the local women comes up and offers O'Neill something from a container that looks a lot like pizza, so he takes it and eats it, because who wouldn't eat pizza? Because pizza's great. It is great. And then he offers it to the others, but the woman's like, nope, only for you, not for them, and you need to eat this. Then she goes back to the group of women that she had come from, and they all seem to be excited about what's happening, and they're all giggling and very pleased. (laughs) because SG-1's trying to analyze the culture and what's happening and O'Neill suddenly seems to be tripping and is looking pretty happy and dizzy some of the women come up and take him away so of course SG-1 tries to follow because they want to know where he's being taken but they are not allowed to follow the woman who gave him the baked goods earlier comes up and does a dance for O'Neill who is clearly super stoned at this point. He's looking really out of it. I'm freaking out, man. You are freaking out, man. And then after her dance, she leads him away, and SG-1 tries to follow yet again, but once again, they are kept in place by the rest of the locals. Alikos, who was the father from earlier, comes up and tells SG-1 that every man receives 100 blissful days, and it is a sin not to celebrate each and every one. Aww. How nice. nice. And Daniel's like, wow, a 100-day celebration. <laughs> well, I guess we should pace ourselves. <laughs> Drugging people is definitely a celebration. Absolutely. <laughs> and in the next scene, we see O'Neill has in bed with Kinthea. Clearly, they have had some sex. <laughs> I did do the nasty in the pasty. Kinthea being the oh. woman from before, I hadn't mentioned her name <laughs> yes, yet. Yes, sorry. Her, her name is <laughs> Yes. Um, he sort of comes out of his uh, stupor a little bit and is like, what just happened? Yes. 
<laughs> he seems rather yeah. surprised. They're shortly joined by a bunch of other people from the village who all just come on in and lay down to go to bed. And O'Neill's kind of trying to cover himself up and he looks over at uh, Kinthia and she too is now asleep. Ah. And can't be roused. SG-1 comes in and kind of stops short upon seeing O'Neill barely dressed and actually not dressed, just kind of has a sheet over him. He asks him what happens and Carter's like, but what about what happened to you? And O'Neill's like, let's not talk about that. And they (laughs) are discussing that everyone just kind of like laid down and collapsed at sunset and that they they're kind of inspecting them and they all seem alive and just appear to be in a deep sleep. Carter doesn't think it's any kind of sickness because that's not how disease works where everyone just collapses all at once. O'Neill continues to deflect from his own situation as they also realize it could be something that they ate, but they're all awake and they all ate the same food except for O'Neill who had the special cake. And O'Neill realizes that he's been drugged. Shocking. <laughs> um, and then, and it was just pretty obvious yeah. at this point already. And then he goes down. It's sleepy time for O'Neill. That drugging and then having sex with someone thing, by the way, is not okay. And this episode does not go into that at all. But I think it's important to say it is not okay to drug people and have sex with them. Agree. Regardless of which gender it is that is receiving the drug. Next morning, everyone's back outside. They are up and they are all happy and everyone seems absolutely fine. Like nothing at all weird happened the night before. O'Neill stumbles out and seems very hungover and is feeling pretty terrible, but otherwise is okay. But then he goes and dunks his head in the fountain. (laughs) He lays down and puts his sunglasses on and is getting a report from the others. The rest of SG-1 said that everyone's acting perfectly normal, and apparently that's what their culture does. They party all day until sundown, and then they immediately go to sleep, and then they wake up at sunrise and repeat. O'Neill says he wants better answers than that, so he sends Daniel and Teal'c back to the temple and orders Sam to ask more questions of the locals. In the temple, uh, Daniel and Alikos, a.k.a. Dad, are in there uh, talking about the, the origins, basically, of the temple and their people, and... He tells them that Pelops is their creator, the giver of days, and that the temple is where he lived while he was among these people. And they keep it just as it is for his big return one day. His ancestors were chosen from beyond the stars. And uh, Daniel asks him for history books. And dad has no idea what the hell writing is. <laughs> so that does that's not great. And Daniel gestures to some glyphs that are on the bottom of the statue and Teal'c recognizes the writing as Goa'uld an obscure dialect and Daniel's like why didn't you say anything and Teal'c said you never asked you never before inquired <laughs> I know, I thought this good. Funny. <laughs> Daniel recognizes the writing as linear A versus Teal'c's recognizing it as Goa'uld and Linear A is actually a language of ancient Greece that is not has not been translated very much at all. When I was reading about it, it sounds like they've only been able really to decipher numbers. 
And actually, hmm. the just the symbol of numbers, not the words, is what Wikipedia said. That's where hmm. I do my research. That's right, Wikipedia. I also do my research <laughs> there, too. It's gotten way better than it used Agreed. to be in the past. It's yeah. not always reliable, no. obviously, but it's pretty good. For I find parts. when I completely don't understand a topic and the the subject, no. And the Wikipedia entry is also extremely dense and leaves me with no new information because it's too complicated for me. I feel like they've done a good job, at, which I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so Teal'c says that the symbols are a sequence and Daniel's like a combination and Teal'c's like, what's that? And Daniel's like... A sequence. <laughs> so Jill just starts pressing the gly- the glyphs, which appear to be some kind of button. I was a little bit curious if, like, if what the glyphs say is the combination. Like, how did he know what to press? Uh, I was wondering that, too. <laughs> so I'm just, I guess maybe they didn't, like, feel the need to put any sort of, uh, Pelops did not feel that they needed to hide what they were doing in any way since the people he left there don't write and can't read and maybe maybe they're just like here's the combination just in case why did he even leave this thing there to begin with though it was like a tablet telling his backstory with a funky jewel know. that helps you to turn the pages I, essentially like why would he I leave don't that? know but I really enjoyed it it was kind of, maybe it's an instruction manual in case he sent back like his like underlings or something yeah, I guess. <laughs> so they start thumbing through basically the tablet and Tilk reiterates it's a difficult archaic dialect. And that was about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he does think he can decipher yeah. it though. So that's, that's something rather, rather important. Back out in the garden, Sam is hanging out in some mud and taking some samples of it. The wife from yesterday comes up carrying a toddler and Sam offers her a shell and says that Danelle could use it as a rattle and asks the woman to give it to him. But she says, well, why don't you just give it to him yourself? Because he's right here. This is Danelle. And Sam is, of course, confused because the woman was carrying a kid that was clearly old enough to stand, as evidenced by the fact that she put him down and he's standing. And then Sam notices that that kid actually has the same birthmark as the newborn from the day before. And she is even more confused about what's going on. A few minutes later, the wife, the kid, Sam, and O'Neill are all sitting and talking. And O'Neill is saying that what he's been told just is not possible. That kid cannot be the same newborn from yesterday. And so the mom is really confused and is like, don't you have any kids where you come from that grow and change? And O'Neill's like, yeah, but not like that. They don't age that quickly. Sam points to some random kid who is across the courtyard and asks the mother how old he is and she says that he's 12 sam says that he looks a little bit big for 12 years old but not necessarily all that abnormal and the woman asks sam what a year is and so they spend a few minutes trying to explain what a a solar year is and that is the period of time that a planet goes around the sun and she just kind of doesn't get it and says well we don't have any measurement of time like that Philippos, who is apparently the kid, is 12 days old, not 12 years old. Crazy. What? And so Sam, yeah. So Sam's like, well, how old are you then? And she says she's 21 days old. And so O'Neill seems rather dismayed when he asks how old Kintheus is, and she is apparently only 31 days old. 31 days. Yep. 
so that's gross and creepy. Yes, this just gets worse and worse. This is also the second episode in a row where they've had to describe time to someone to uh, yes explain how old something is. Yes. Yay. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess kind of makes sense because the amount of time it takes for a planet to get around the sun is very different, different yeah. everywhere. And I don't know. Yeah. I guess not everyone can measure it accurately enough to use it as a unit of time. True. So back in the temple, Daniel is explaining what they've found so far, which is they've deciphered that Pelops brought the people here to study human evolution. They found that the lifespan of the folks on this planet have been shortened to one 250th of normal. <laughs> And that way, then, Pelops could observe human evolution in terms of hundreds of years rather than hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> My, uh, I was wondering how long these people had been here so far. Yeah, I was too. How many, gen- how many generations yeah. of people has this been? I would think, actually, that if this has been thousands of years, we should have seen way more evolutionary differences among yeah. these people than we are actually seeing because they're full-on human and humans are still evolving so like there there should have been differences but there weren't so does that mean that there really wasn't as long then or are they just the writers just assuming that humans aren't currently evolving anymore i i don't know i don't know and also if the this was happening like on this scale why doesn't he come back and check on his experiment Um, right also yeah. a good question. Or was he there for a long time and realized that nothing was really happening and then got that bored and left? That could be too. And left the instruction yeah. manual in case anyone wanted to pick up on it later. Right. Because, uh, I mean, really, he didn't leave the... I mean, there weren't really any evolutionary pressures on them, I guess. Like, if you want to be technical about it, genetic drift should have happened, which basically just means that things change not because of selection, but just because of... Uh, literally drifting genetics just kind of change over time even without pressures exerted on them from outside but that's probably more information than anyone cares about. I'm sure people care. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Long story short even without any kind of external pressures to make them uh, evolve essentially you know like no natural selection there still should have been some differences. So yeah Pelops has accelerated their aging but he's not they're not sure how that's happened. Teal mentions for the third time that this writing is archaic, which I'm not sure if that's just he's frustrated or if he's like, this is my excuse for why we're not translating it faster. But I was amused (laughs) that it was the third time he had mentioned that this episode. Maybe he's using the chief engineer philosophy from Star Trek of like, you know, always say something is harder than it actually (laughs) is. So that you can surprise everyone by having it take less time than you tell them it's going to take, and then you look really good. That could be. That could be it. (laughs) Oh, man, you guys, this is so hard to translate. It's going to take me forever. It's going to be so hard. Oh, look, I'm done. (laughs) He he runs a risk, though, of genius Daniel showing him up and figuring it out before he does. And then wouldn't that feel embarrassing? (laughs) Carter notices Daniel appears to be holding back a little bit of information. And with barely any coaxing, he says that he theorizes that this aging 
speed up slash them going to sleep on sunset, waking up at sunrise thing is a some kind of virus transmitted through bodily contact based on the fact that only O'Neill passed out and none of the rest of SG-1 seems to be affected by what they found. So basically yeah. it's an STD. <laughs> Good times. Oh, yeah. Back out in the garden, they tried to explain the situation to Jack and uh, are also admiring just how much the locals are enjoying their lives. While all this I enjoyed is happening. the woman dancing on the fountain. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that was specifically what they were talking about when they were mentioning how much the people are enjoying their lives here, despite the short duration of them. So this is where I was really starting to wonder, like Sam had mentioned earlier that nobody appeared to be any older than 40 years. But like if they're all living their lives shortened over the span of 100 days, that doesn't really explain why none of them would look like they're old. Like by the time that they get to 100, shouldn't they look old? You would think old? so. Maybe it's a brand new experiment and this is the first group. <laughs> but <laughs> then that doesn't explain them talking about their ancestors. So <laughs> No, that's true um, too. I was also curious in this like sped up time, how long was she pregnant before she popped out that kid? Yeah, that's a good question too. Because if a day is like a year, Did they then just... a day would have been too they long. They just had sex and then suddenly her <laughs> she bulges out and pops out the kid. That's all in a day's work. Oh, that's disturbing. <laughs> Super disturbing. But a good question. Anyway, O'Neill all of a sudden collapses and everyone lays down around him because apparently the sun has suddenly set. Like, how are they surprised that the sun is setting? They seem super, uh, SG-1 seems very surprised that all of a sudden everyone is passing out, even though they've already established that everyone goes to sleep right at sunset. Yeah. Don't. So O'Neill says, I guess it wasn't the pizza cake. And Sam says, I guess it must have been your physical contact with Kinthea. Before O'Neill completely passes out, he orders all of SG-1 to go back to Earth to figure out what's happening. Which made me wonder, why wouldn't they bring him with them for testing instead of leaving him I, there? I don't know. There was some weirdness with the protocols they decided to employ at different yeah. times in this episode. Yeah, because I mean, I understand that he would be a possibly infectious vector but technically so would all the rest of sg1 yeah. at this point because i guess they don't really know for sure that it's just an std it could be some other kind of physical contact that could lead to this so technically even though the others aren't passing out yet they might be carriers could... of it and just not yeah. have symptoms yet so these are the things i was wondering about anyway. but anyway they're never addressed jack's so in charge matter. so they all go home uh, yes. Back on Earth, they are in a lab. Dr. Fraser comes in while Carter is busy at a computer. She said they checked for antibodies and something about mm -hmm. the protein analysis found a strange particulate. Just to point out, antibodies okay. are proteins, but she made it sound Thank like they're you. separate things. Anyway, continue. I didn't know anything. <laughs> this is the part where I was like, derp, derp, they're talking about science. <laughs> um,. They do note that O'Neill has way more of this in his blood than the other samples they brought back. I think that for some reason this is because he started out older than the other ones, which I really was not following the logic on this at all. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird pseudo logic, so. but 
I decided to yeah. just yeah. go with it. <laughs> and so Carter goes to wake up Hammond and let him know what's going on. Back at the temple, we, the gate dials in. And Carter comes through and is very surprised to see how much older Jack is since she left. O'Neill asks her what she's learned and she tells him that it's not a virus, but they don't really know what it is and that it's going to continue to take more time. But Daniel points out that they don't really have a whole lot of time left because O'Neill's already aged really rapidly. Yeah. Sam says that he has about 100 times more of whatever this organism is than any of the others and that it's continuing to multiply even faster than the blood from any of the locals and so by the end of two weeks he is going to have reached about a hundred years old so of course o'neill is not very pleased to learn that he'll probably be dead within two weeks and sam tells him that that's not going to happen if she can help it and she wants to set up a lab on site to try to do some research on the planet to try to slow the aging process down long enough for them to find a cure. But O'Neill is not having that at all. He doesn't want anybody else to risk getting infected, and so he orders everyone back through the gate. Tilk insists that he wants to stay behind with O'Neill just to keep him company because he can't get infected anyway, but O'Neill continues to be very insistent that all of SG-1 has to go back through to work on the translations and to work on finding him a cure. But he also warns them that they better not say goodbye because they had all better return soon with some good news for him. So this, I guess the logic here is that they went back and they've probably been tested and presumed to not have this whatever. So it's, yeah, I would assume that they would have done a blood yeah. draw at this point. So they're, they're cool to just go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they do. They're back. They're back in the lab. Uh, Teal'c and Daniel have set up shop in the viewing area above i guess they're working on their translation up there although it mostly looks like they're watching what's going on in the lab uh yeah <laughs> the doctors carter and fraser are looking at what look to be floating pyramids in the blood on a monitor <laughs> yes and i will point out here that that is definitely not what blood looks like <laughs> under a microscope yeah but anyway <laughs> Nor, I mean, like floating yeah. pyramids aside, the stuff that was in the background okay. is not what blood looks like. Yeah, but whatever. Uh, Carter Carter says that they, uh, the these little doohickeys are not multiplying, but are actually replicating that they're machines. <laughs> this also made me laugh because she made it sound like such an important distinction, but we do use the term replicate in biology, especially... When we're talking about DNA replication. She's not a biologist. I don't know why she's doing all this sciencing, right. but she's not technically right. a biologist by training. So Exactly. She, she's a theoretical astrophysicist, <laughs> which is why this whole scene was just cracking me up. Like, she doesn't, wouldn't really have any idea what she's talking about yeah. here. But anyway. So these molecular devices, she explains the replication process. That these molecular yes. devices take atomic particles from their environment and use them to make more of themselves. Uh, and she reveals also that she spent a year doing nanotech at the <laughs> Pentagon because she's good at all the science. Right. And they were looking at immune yeah. systems because, you know, theoretical astrophysicists. Yeah. <laughs> what else is she going to be looking at? So that's, that's convenient for everyone. Yeah, super convenient. Back in the temple, old... Old. Old Neil. <laughs> Old Neil. <laughs> 
back at the temple, old Neil. Yes. He's staring across a fire and up at Pelops and asks what Pelops is staring at. But of course, this is just the statue, so doesn't answer. Although Kinthea comes up and is like, wow, can you really talk to Pelops? And O'Neill's like, it's just a rock. So, sure. <laughs> Kinthea says that she is super glad that SG-1 is gone because now O'Neill can teach her all of his customs. And O'Neill is essentially just like, no, not now. And Kinthea's like, but you ate the marriage cake and you came to my bed. And so O'Neill is pretty surprised to find out that just as Daniel found himself suddenly married in the movie, he is suddenly finding himself married in this episode. Marriage. Marriage is what brings us together today. And he tries to explain to her that what she might be feeling for him isn't love because love takes time. And Kinthea's like, but these are my hundred blissful days. <laughs> so she doesn't really want to hear what he has to say about his views of marriage and love. Yeah. But he tells her to knock it off because Pelops didn't give you these hundred blissful days. He took your life away. And she is looking really distraught at this point. And is basically like, but we're the chosen ones. He made this place just for us to be happy and to love. But O'Neill tells her that this is all just an experiment and that he is actually supposed to be 40 years old. <laughs> At which point I was wondering, like, there's no way that he was only 40 years old. I did check. He was 47. Oh, was okay. I didn't realize that. I thought he was a little younger, but yeah. Okay, cool. Yep. And so Cynthia calls him a liar. And O'Neill mentions that on Earth. Or at least assuming that O'Neill mentions that the average lifespan is 60 to 70 years. And it's like, according to who and on what planet? Because that's not the average lifespan here. Thankfully, we actually have a, a longer one than that. Like, mid-70s is the lifespan here. Now. But uh, he does mention that some people can even live for 100 years. And so Kinthea does not believe that at all. And O'Neill tries to explain that Pelops was an alien who's just using everybody and shortened everyone's lifespan to satisfy his own curiosity. And so Kinthea runs out completely <laughs> distraught, which I can only assume means that she is the first person ever on Argos in the entire history of the planet to be sad. Probably. The truth hurts, man. <laughs> it does. I was a little bit uh, missing a beat. I was like, what does that have to do with marriage? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you nothing. <laughs> but it just seemed weird. Like, I mean, especially like here, marriage is a legal thing, a binding contract. Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of feelings that go into most marriages. Um, hopefully, a lot of love. Yes. I can't speak to that, but. <laughs> um. I suppose I love my husband, I guess. Yeah, but it just, it seemed like a weird pivot. Yeah, a lot of cultures, it's really just kind of a formal contract it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with love in a lot of different places so it does seem weird where he'd be like well love has to be involved in marriage no not in a lot of cultures even though that might be ideal not necessarily yeah it, it just it seemed a little strange he also seemed a little bit more condescending to her than i would like but yes he's also cranky pants and getting old fast so we'll let him have yes. his his moment because <laughs> you yeah. can't really blame him for that <laughs> since he's like Supposedly 40, <clears throat> going on about yeah. 65. I also thought this is, I also thought they did a decent job with the like slight aging each time. Like, um, yeah. 
and it didn't it didn't look completely ridiculous like sometimes when you put people in old makeup you're like this is dumb yeah but it they did okay yes. i thought yeah i agree it's i think it's hard to make somebody look convincingly yeah. older but his makeup was as yeah. you said pretty decent he got like super old and then you're like well everyone just looks old and wrinkled then anyway so all old people yeah. look alike right <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> not ageist at all (laughs) back in the lab they're doing an experiment with the nanobots which i'm calling nanobots even though they called them nanocytes because then i get to reference that they might be giant song called nanobots of course grow the nanobots nanobots, and they're trying to get these things to interact with live tissue um, and it's, I don't, does this box with the glove holes have a name of some kind? I don't know, but. I'm, it's just basically like an EQ. Oh, okay. Incubator that they've turned into like a little tiny mobile okay. lab, like a little mobile clean room. I don't know. It's not a thing that I've ever used, okay. but probably. I was like the box with glove holes. Yeah. yeah, I've never worked with anything particularly dangerous when I've worked with microbes, so I've never had to worry about anything other than gotcha. just regular gloves. So they find that they are not, su- not successful with this test, and these things are not doing anything. Making do with leftovers, bunking up, sharing comic books, sitting 3D on each other's laps. Frazier speculates that there's something on the planet that they must react to that's not happening here and that's why there's no reaction and then sudden dramatic music and carter's gloves are disintegrating so she oh my god she pulls her hands out and slams the little glove hole shut and then she goes over and washes her hands for like two seconds I counted. It was exactly two seconds, actually. Which we all, at this point in time, know is not long enough to do anything useful. Absolutely not. There's not even time to get soap on your hands and back off your hands in two and seconds. And they think these nanobots are going to spread. Yes. But, Kathy, I have a question. Who set off the alarm? Oh. Because we had a clear shot of Sam's hands this whole time yeah. because they were in the box. And then, like you said, she slammed to hold, shut the uh, glove holes. And then we see Frazier, who is standing in the exact same spot wow. right in front of the box. And up in the balcony, up in the gallery, we can see Daniel and Teal, who are only just <laughs> standing up. So who set off maybe, the alarm? Maybe there was a little, like, trigger on the glove holes when you shut them. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe there's somebody off camera whose job is only to set off uh, alarms when (laughs) things go wrong. Also possible. Where were they earlier then in the episode with Kowalski where the uh, guy was strangled (laughs) and no alarm went off? (laughs) Maybe this is a new protocol they've enacted. Everyone has their own designated emergency button pusher. (laughs) Yes. That must be it. Yep, new protocol. But they have to be hidden, so they 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 only yes. take graduates of the Milford Academy. You, know, you can always tell a Milford man. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Back in the temple, O'Neill is super old at this point, and it's trying to write a note to Sarah, but only gets as far as actually writing "Dear Sarah" before getting annoyed and just tossing <laughs> his notebook away. Alikos comes in and asks if everything that he had told Kinthia is true, and 
seems a little bit upset, but O'Neill asks, well, wouldn't you rather know the truth? And so Olikos asks Pelops, why do we deserve this? And O'Neill's like, well, he can't hear you just because you're talking to his statue. But Olikos continues to address the statue and tells them that we're good people who love each other and we love this land that you've given us. Why is this happening? And O'Neill says, must be science or progress or knowledge. Who knows? But then he asks Alikos what he would actually do if he had thousands of days ahead of him, like a normal human lifespan. And Alikos says that he would go and explore because nobody's ever gone beyond the garden. It's forbidden. And so he would go explore what's beyond the garden and try to figure out what, what it is, what is out there and bring that knowledge back so that they could teach their children. Sounds, sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah, yeah, indeed. And then we get a time-passing montage, <laughs> which I had thought would mean that Alikos was going out to actually do I some exploring, so but, but then he's there, like, in the next scene, so I guess not. So, it's sun up in the village. O'Neill is still in the temple, sitting on the ground, staring kind of towards the Stargate in front of him. Uh, Kinthea comes in and says that he should not spend so much time alone and should come back to the village. And O'Neill's like, I'll spend my time how I want. And she argues that he's wasting his time and he disagrees and that he is contemplating his life and also trying to think about how he can get better. She's like, you're angry. And he's like, aren't you? And then she's... Uh, she has a different perspective on things. She says, what can we do but keep living the way we always have and treasure every moment of our lives? And O'Neill is like, that's not how he is. He's a warrior at heart and that he fights. And he said something about his ex-wife. I think it was he was fighting with his ex- or ask his ex-wife about his whatever warrior side. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't really see. I didn't. I didn't really understand why he was making that distinction that because he's a warrior, he can't appreciate the here and yeah. now. That didn't make a whole lot of sense yeah. to me, but that was that seemed to be the argument he was trying to make. That's okay, because I felt the next part where she's like, blah, 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 heartbeat, eternity, let's kiss was also nonsense, so. <laughs> yeah, she had said, then let me give what I have taken. The time of one heartbeat can become eternity. And so she kisses him. So I guess she's trying to say that she's gonna make him fall in love with her and make time stretch on i guess because of that, i don't I guess, know I, I was like whatever this, I, I thought it was dumb too <laughs> I, I don't i don't need this uh back and forth about life philosophies but no i'm a heartless person Agreed. so <laughs> <laughs> i'm too jaded for that yeah don't care back in the briefing room we come in on the middle of an argument and sam and Frazier are trying to argue that they are perfectly fine, so they should be allowed to continue work on the project because despite what just happened, they didn't get infected. Hammond insists that all of the blood and tissue samples need to be incinerated and that the Argos project is over. <laughs> and done. <laughs> Conveniently brushes his hands off and then on to the next mission. Daniel argues that he... Uh, Hammond is condemning O'Neill and all the rest of the Argosians to death. So apparently now Daniel's okay with interfering on other planets, even though back in the di the uh, Broca Divide he was totally like, "Well, it's just their way to rape women, so you know it's fine. <laughs> we can't we can't interfere." But but now they can interfere. Hammond asks Sam if 
he has it correctly when he says that the nanocytes have an artificial intelligence and she says yeah that's how they adapt to new situations and so ham is like well then they can adapt themselves right out of this facility and we are not going to risk that daniel then starts yelling and like pounding his fist on the table that they can't leave o'neill there <laughs> and it's Aww. like wow daniel <laughs> yeah Quite right. the reaction but i appreciated his yeah. loyalty at least and hammond says that yeah it's going to be a great loss but i am sure that o'neill would make this exact same choice it's not a risk that they could take if the entire planet might be at stake if these nanocytes yeah. got out he's right i was on i was on hammond's yeah. side on this one <laughs> i yeah. agree with him as well back in the temple we kind of get a shot just of the camera slowly panning around the room as we hear Carter's voice. She's telling O'Neill yeah. that they're still working on some simulations, but it might take years to find anything, which is bad news. Daniel also delivers some more bad news that gate travel is off limits, but he can get supplies if they want. Teal'c says his goodbye in this message, too, and it's in this panning, it's revealed that O'Neill is sitting there watching it on some tiny TV, and I hoped they included some good movies for him as well. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah. Netflix? Was Netflix a thing back in 1997? I guess it would just be DVDs. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, they clearly, like, they have this recording, so maybe they could at least, like, get some sort of, like, pirate copy of like Jurassic Park or something for him to watch. Yes. The yeah. best movie. Right? I don't know. Could they do digital movies yeah. back then? I can't remember when we started uh, illegally watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer in Colin's <laughs> room. And... <laughs> Weren't there those giant, there were those giant disc things before oh, DVDs, God, laser though. discs. I think, I think that laser discs were done with by this point in time. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I thought so too. I didn't, we never, we I'm never used think them. We, but... I forgot those were thing until just now because they weren't no, popular. I started working in a video store in I think it was 1997, and there were some laser discs still in inventory, but they were being replaced by more VHS and DVDs at that time because they were huge and like, not convenient. Yay! At all. Let's 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 put our movies on. CDs, but make them as big as records. Woo! Right. And they were they weren't holding a lot of data either, because some of the longer movies you still had to put on two laser discs. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Then what's the point? <laughs> I don't think the pictures looked any better. I think I only saw something on one of those things like once in a in class, and I don't remember thinking that it looked any better than a yeah. regular VHS. So, did. I don't know, but they did not last long before they made it small enough to fit on a DVD size CD thing. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> after yeah. that fun tangent, back in the temple, but a little bit later on, the Argosians are bringing offerings to Pelops and say that it's because they don't have enough knowledge to fix the situation that they're finding themselves in. And so they're asking Pelops to return. This enrages O'Neill. For crying out loud! And he starts smashing their plates and their offerings and shouting at them that Pelops doesn't care about love and for whatever reason he's adopted some weird southern accent while he's going on this tirade so I guess aging him also made him from the south his kind kidnap people like you and take them to other worlds to be used as slaves and I guess the, the use of the word slave really seemed to finally get through to these people so Alikos who is is actually there after all this is where we found out he didn't go exploring 
says, well, that's really not cool, so we are not going to be his chosen any longer. Yeah. A little bit later on, we see them all pulling on the statue and ropes are tied around it. And they break it off and it topples over and it smashes. And then all of a sudden, everybody looks around like surprised and stunned and full of remorse as though they're expecting to get struck down. But then, not surprisingly, nothing happens. Next, O'Neill and Kinthia are walking on the shore holding hands. They are far from the village, but it is okay because Pelops can't do nothing to them. Because he is nothing. <laughs> but how did they even get this far, though? Because O'Neill is supposed to be, like, super ancient and feeble at this point, And he can barely, like, he's clearly having a lot of trouble walking. So how did they get so far that they can't walk back I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they just decided they don't care about walking back after they were like, well, I guess we can leave. So it's cool. Right. I guess. So a little bit later... O'Neill and Kinthia are sitting on a log and they've started a fire. They're playing tic-tac-toe in the sand. Kinthia asks if he'll not live the rest of his life without making love. And O'Neill lulls and is like... That was such a random question that came out of nowhere. This whole thing is... This whole love theme is out of nowhere, I feel like, through this whole thing. But making love is different. That's... But... uh, (laughs) O'Neill laughs and is like, I hope not, but then we'll probably pass out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and that's when they realize it's actually night and they didn't go to sleep so what gives yes <laughs> in the morning Cynthia and O'Neill return and see that nobody is awake yet even though it is past sunup and O'Neill asks Cynthia exactly how important that rule is that nobody leave the village and she says that it's Pelop's first law So they kind of talk this through and it becomes apparent that whatever it is that's knocking everybody out at night must be coming from the village. And that's why Cynthia and O'Neill weren't affected by it the night before. But there has to be something else different going on as well, because all of the locals were put to sleep, as would normally be the case, while they were in the village still. But nobody woke Hmm. up in the morning. So the signal to send everybody to sleep was still there, but the signal to wake everybody up was missing. They decide to go back to the temple and try to explore a little bit because the only thing that's different is the fact that that statue has been knocked down since the previous morning. And here we find that there is some sort of a device in the base that was in plain sight and flashing, but somehow yesterday everybody (laughs) managed to miss it. O'Neill pulls out the device and says that he needs to go make a phone call. And he does, because the next thing you uh, see is that SG-1 has arrived in hazmat suits. and is, Which are the same hazmat suits we saw before, which are just fatigued yeah. with an extra hood on top. <laughs> which is fine, because they take them off anyway in the next scene again. Right. And, and they're <laughs> yes. greeted by old Neil. Uh, he says he's doing pretty well, except for his prostate. So thank you for that, O'Neill. <laughs> cool. Thanks for yeah. oversharing. <laughs> So next, they are in the temple, out of their suits already. I'm not sure why they even put them on to go through. Is right. Like, what inform? What changed? Nothing had changed. Yeah, I wonder. Maybe that it was too. just Hammond was like, <laughs> "I have made this decree, therefore you must take these extra precautions or something," which they then disregard yep. on the other side. <laughs> right. They've. Because clearly nobody really thinks a whole lot of Hammond from all of the arguing that they do with him anyway, apparently. 
they do a lot of questioning of their superior they officers do. in this show and granted you know again i've never been in the military but i did not think that that was as okay as it apparently is according to the Maybe. sg1 universe <laughs> i don't know either <laughs> it's good that him and allows that for uh because i mean obviously people disagreeing with you helps inform decisions i feel like so True. it's good that he is that way i guess except for that they kind of just do except whatever that- they want so that's a little bit yeah. extreme yeah. <laughs> that's not good <laughs> um, they've figured out what's going on basically that the device that they found is some kind of transmitter that there were were there two devices? Is that what happened? And one of them is damaged? No, there were two symbols that Tilk and Daniel couldn't read. And it turned out that those were numbers. And those numbers were two different frequencies. Yeah. So the device was damaged. So it could only transmit one of Which, those frequencies. Yeah. And not the... It could, it could transmit this the go-to-sleep okay. frequency, but, but not the wake-up frequency. it was the, the same device. Frequency. That's what I was... Okay. Yes. Uh Also, funny that they couldn't read the numbers, which is the only thing that Linear A, they've translated so far... But yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you said that before, I thought that was interesting. I'm like, all right, whatever, <laughs> it's fine. Um, <laughs> so they figured out the problem. They can't fix the device itself, but don't worry, Carter has made some sort of device of her own that she can use, and they can can translate the signal. Woo! Fantastic. So they do. <laughs> Indeed. And then everyone wakes up. Woohoo! And they're like, holy shit, it's daytime. The sun has traveled very far. What happened? <laughs> oh, man. A little bit later, SG-1 and Kinthia are walking O'Neill through the village, and Tilk says that O'Neill has apparently been cleared of all of his probes. Sam figures that his immune system must have cleared them out when they didn't become active again the night before, when they were too far from the village. And Daniel tells Kinthia that she should actually start aging at the normal rate for a human now. And Kinthia's like, well, but what about Jack? And he says he's going to move to Florida to some nice retirement home. And Sam tells him that, well, you're going to be very out of place because apparently he only actually looks old, but isn't really old. The nanocytes couldn't start the rapid aging process in a full-grown adult. So again, we get like some pseudo science pseudo logic here so he only looks old he's not actually old and with the machines gone from his system he should go back to his normal age within a couple weeks (laughs) yep sure and o'neill is disappointed because he really wanted to play some shuffleboard in florida so hearing this kinthia is sad that o'neill is going to be leaving which i was a little confused by well i guess i wasn't confused but i thought that that reaction was a little bit weird because he was going to be leaving her by dying within two True. weeks anyway so now she's sad that he's going to continue to live but is going to leave i would think that she should be happy at hearing that he's at yeah. least going to be going on somewhere else even if she's not with him but she is sad to learn that he's going to get better <laughs> and asks what's going to happen if pelops returns and o'neill says that he doesn't think that that's probably going to happen because it seems to be that this is one of those planets that the gold have decided is not very helpful to them and have just abandoned. But he says that they're going to send some people to check in on them from time to time, and Kinthea hopes that O'Neill will be one of them. O'Neill assures her that he has learned a lot from her and is going to cherish all of his days moving ah. forward. 
And she says, For thousands of days? Sure hope so. That is almost forever. And O'Neill says, Almost. And he gives her a kiss on the cheek, and then they end on a weird freeze frame before fading out, which I thought was an odd choice. <laughs> but here, that's, that's, that's where we went. Yeah. And that's how they end the episode. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So that's Brief Candle. Kathy, did you like Brief Candle? I thought it was super dumb. I... Did not really even I the science dummy do not buy the magical <laughs> anti aging of O'Neill and yeah I don't understand how this experiment was supposed to work anyway and no. I did also the I mean it was a long time ago I guess so the glossing over of the part where she rapes him in the beginning is a little bit much for me. Yeah, and it was also the second weird O'Neill episode in a row. <laughs> Which, yeah, the other one was super heavy, when but we had to... <laughs> yes, uh, another one where we had to put on prosthetics <laughs> and then take on a fake voice slash accent. Yeah. It was just yeah. So that was weird. I was not super fond of this episode. I didn't mind it too much. I wouldn't say that I was a huge fan of it. I enjoyed watching it. I thought it was silly. Obviously, there were some problems with it. I was able to look past a lot of the science stuff on it because I'm trying Woo! to get better <laughs> at that. Um, but yeah, not one of my favorites, but certainly not my <laughs> least favorite, as probably everyone can tell by now. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. What are we watching yeah, next? Um... Okay, I'm going to read next next thing from the uh, Complete Series Collector's Edition booklet I have for Thor's Hammer. Looking for allies against the gold, the SG-1 team lands on Samaria, home of the legendary Norse gods. Tilk and O'Neill are transported to the underground labyrinth caves of the vicious creature Unas. Can Carter and Daniel rescue them? <gasps> Can they? I guess we We'll have we to will. wait and see. I remember enjoying this episode quite a lot, though. Yeah. I think I do, too. But maybe I don't. I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out next week. Indeed. On Stargazing. <laughs> Not next week. I'm sorry. In two weeks <laughs> on Stargazing. <laughs> on Stargazing. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thanks for joining us today. Make sure that you subscribe to us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher is, if you have not already done so. And five-star reviews are very much appreciated as well. Uh, we do have our new YouTube channel up, where you'll be able to find episodes as well. And you can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com. That's S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E-Z-I-N-G. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Stargatesing. You can like our page or join our Facebook group on Facebook. <laughs> That's redundant and self-explanatory, but here we are. And if you're feeling generous, we do appreciate any visitors to patreon.com slash stargatesing who would care to kick in a few dollars for us. And of course, last but not least, don't forget about our website, stargatesing.space, the best domain possible. <laughs> Woo! I'm very excited about that website. I am Mary. I am Kathy. And you have been listening to Stargazing. The end. The end. <laughs>
banana bots up. Grow them in the cracks <laughs> in the sidewalk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Great song. Agreed. Great band. <laughs>